May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Last Friday was the anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. So around the world people stopped and remembered that event. This picture is actually taken from May and you might think that looks like an Olympic flame. And it is. It's the Olympic flame being mingled with the flame that burns at the Hiroshima Memorial Park so that the Olympic flame in part tells the story of Hiroshima and the Olympics were seen as an opportunity by the Japanese people and those who knew that to remember the brutality and cost of war and to commit to work to ensure that war does not happen around the world, particularly nuclear war. Also over the last week or so we've had protests in Australia and around the world where there's been lockdowns. So Australia there's been lots of COVID-19 protests, people objecting to lockdown and public health measures and uh, let's hope that we don't have to go through that here. Uh, and within that there was quite a strong anti-vax, anti-vaccination uh, theme as well. And within that there's quite a strong Christian element. Uh, so this is clearly from an American protest, but I saw similar signs. I just couldn't find a picture of them when I went looking, and I did spend quite some time trying to find them. Um, but when the news articles came out, there were a number of people who had signs like this, trust in God, not vaccines. Say no to Bill Gates. And we have some of that going on in this country. So I read today that the big mass vaccination system, um, event that happened in South Auckland, only a fifth of the people who came were either Māori or Pacific Islanders. So, and one of the big controversies with the Fijian rugby team was that they couldn't get that team to wear a shirt that said, get vaccinated. Because a number of the team members said, we don't think vaccines are good. So Christianity is playing a significant role in this debate. There's images like this floating around the website, the internet. The blood of Jesus protects our family against COVID-19. Amen. One of the Anglican priests in Sydney said that last year he was contacted by people to see if they could buy consecrated bread and wine so they could take it and be protected against COVID-19. So that's how they understand this. If we eat consecrated bread and drink consecrated wine, COVID won't touch us. The fact that people are still dying, even if they're doing that, just escapes their attention. I quite like this one. I'm talking about this because it is swirling around our community and in part because at a very kind of basic level it would appear that what we heard this morning from John 6 would support that kind of understanding that if you eat the bread of life then you'll live forever and you'll be protected from these nasty germs 
And I have to wonder whether that really is what John 6 is about and whether it could be about something else. What does it mean to be fed by the bread of life, the bread of heaven, the living bread? Is it about keeping us safe from COVID or is it about something else? When we read John 6, uh, there are a couple of things we have to keep in mind. It's part of a whole gospel. It's not to be plucked out on its own. Um, That's the first thing. The second thing is, it's building on the story from John 4 about Jesus um, talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. So, I don't know what Debbie said last week. She might have already talked about some of this. But um, at the well, uh, Jesus and that woman have a conversation. And in the conversation, she asks, Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? So this is contrasting Jesus with some of the great ancestors. In John 4's case with Jacob, as we'll see in a moment, in John 6 with Moses. And in that conversation, Jesus says, Indeed, the water I give I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we have the introduction of that theme of Jesus being the water, Jesus being the bread, Jesus being the wine. So, there's the introduction of that theme. When we get to John 6, the first thing we need to take note of is that it's set at Passover. So, right at the beginning of John 6, it says, at Passover. So, Jesus is not in Jerusalem, he's out in the countryside. And 5,000 people come to join him, 5,000 men plus women and children, uh, and he feeds them. And then he walks on water. And that has echoes of the Exodus story, where where Moses leads the people through the Red Sea, essentially walking on water. And then when they're in the wilderness, when they're starving and hungry, God feeds them with manna, bread from heaven. So this story has echoes of all of those things. And... From that we can say that John is taking the Exodus story and he's using the Exodus story to understand who Jesus is. He is reinterpreting the Exodus story through the life of Jesus. And he is establishing Jesus as the new Moses, who is greater than Jacob and Moses. So what does the Exodus story offer in our understanding of who Jesus is And what Jesus is talking about in John. Well, Passover, Exodus, is all about Jesus, Jesus, God, through Moses, liberating the people from slavery in Egypt and taking them to the promised land. It's about a God of liberation. But they weren't liberated as individuals. They weren't a gaggle of individuals who all just happened to turn up at the same place at the same time. They were a community, a people. So they were liberated as the community or the people of God. And then in the wilderness, God teaches this people how to live in the presence of this liberating God. God is in their midst, in the tent of the tabernacle, in the pillar of fire, in the pillar of smoke. God is right in the centre of their lives. 
So what does it mean to live with this liberating God there in their midst? That's what the experience of the wilderness is all about. What it means to be God's community. How to live in response to God's deep care for them in the liberation from slavery. How to, li how to live in response to God's deep care for creation. How to live out that deep care for others. So that this is not just about them. And if we read Torah, it was never just about them. It was about them living, being the means by which God fulfilled the covenant between God and Abraham and Sarah, where they are blessed to be a blessing, where God works through them to restore creation and renew all of humanity. And they were given the Torah as the means by which they would do that. So we often think of law as a bad thing and a whole set of rules and you've got to obey it so that God will like you. Well, actually, God had already liberated them. So this was how do we live in response to that? And how do we be God's people? Not as God's individuals, but God's people living God's deep care and compassion. How do we live, how could they live God's liberation for all people? That's what Torah was all about. It was not only about them, it was for all people. So John 6 is building on that. That sense of we are God's people and we are called by God to live in response to what God has already done for us. Living out God's deep care, God's compassion, God's liberation for other people. So when we hold that, then we go back to think about what does Jesus being the bread of life mean? Well, it's about Jesus building a new community based still on God's care and liberation. A community that bases its life trusting in God's care and liberation. So what does bread of life mean in all of that? Well, at a very basic level, we might say that it's about Holy Communion or Eucharist. This whole passage, starting with uh, the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children, and then Jesus' teaching about bread of life, bread of heaven, the living bread, is as close to, you, to any Eucharistic teaching as you get in John's Gospel. So on the Last Supper, there is no Lord's Supper. Jesus washes their feet, and then he has a long pep talk, and then a long prayer. But no sharing of a meal. John 6 is the Eucharistic moment in John's Gospel, where he feeds the 5,000 men plus women and children. So it's in a very different place. So in the Eucharist, we might say, God is made tangible once again in the bread and wine. Or as one of the great Franciscan saints, Bonaventure, said, God bends down in love and meets us in the bread and wine. And as we hold and touch, as we eat and drink, we are reminded of all that Jesus did. The times that he fed the large crowds, like in John 6. 
Or all the meals he ate with the wrong people, which in Luke's Gospel gets him into a serious amount of trouble. It was those meals that turned the leadership against him. All the times that he healed people. All the times that he liberated people. We are reminded of that as we hold the bread, as we hold the cup. And as we eat and drink, we are changed by remembering. And we are changed because the bread and wine, however we understand that, becomes part of us. God's presence becomes part of us. And we are mingled with the presence of God. Now, at this point, we could be very close to where those protesters are talking. That we as individuals are changed and saved from COVID. But this is where, this is where mainline traditional theology for the last 2,000 years diverges from, from what those protesters are talking about. As one commentator said, the Eucharist is always an enacted sign of the love and regard for community. It's not about us as individuals. It's about us as community and how we live for the wider community. It is not a talisman for personal gain or benefit. Now one of the great gifts of the Protestant Reformation was that it took the story that was all about community and it invited them and invited us to think about what that means for us personally. A personal saviour. That was a strength. But it was also a weakness. Because when we lose that community element, it then becomes all about Jesus and me. And if we listen to a lot of the music, a lot of modern Christian music, it's all about Jesus and me. And a lot of the teaching is about Jesus and me. But in fact, it was never about Jesus and me. It was about Jesus and us as the people of God. And yes, we have to own that personally, but we own it within community. I've heard a lot of Christians rail against individualism. And I go... Who created that individualism? We did. The Protestant Reformation created it. It dragged this, it created this whole new way of understanding yourself as an individual. <coughs> and, and the rest of society took that on and is now living it out. So we have to actually own our, our role in that. And we can see the end point of that when people say, God is going to keep me safe and I don't have to care about anyone else. Which is effectively what Jesus is my vaccine is all about. I don't have to care about anyone else. It's just about me. And that's not what Jesus was on about. And it's definitely not what Jesus was on about in John 6. <coughs> so in this sense... The bread and the wine are only like the vaccine in that it exists for the good of the whole community, not for ourselves as individuals. 
So when we come to Eucharist, we are gathered. The Eucharist gathers us to be God's people. And we are reminded of what it means to be God's community in this place amongst the people of this city. We, as God's community, are changed to be a new community based on God's care and liberation. A community that bases its life trusting in God's care and liberation. Now, John talks about eternal life a lot. And we often think that eternal life, well, lots of people think eternal life is more of the same, but forever. So I sit in funerals and I I can remember one funeral where a son said, I know, Mum, now you're up in heaven with Dad drinking your gin and tonics. And I went, I mean, that's, lots of people have that idea. I was like, yeah, I don't think this is what it's about. I didn't say that to him. But, you know, that's what a lot of people think eternal life is like. More of the best parts of life, but forever. And that's not what John was talking about. For a start, when John talked about eternal life, it started now, not when you die. So the after-death stuff was part of it, but actually what you do now was the really important part of it. And the really important part of it was living as God's community now, living out God's care, living out God's liberation for all people. That's what eternal life was. And so when we come to the Eucharist, we are changed to live out eternal life in this place amongst these people, living and trusting in God's care and liberation now and in all ages. But most of the commentators I read also said that Jesus being the bread of life isn't just about communion and that it's a mistake to just see it as being about communion. It's about much more. So how else are we fed by the bread from heaven? And what difference does that make? Well, I could talk a bit longer. But I thought at this point it might be more useful if I got you to talk amongst yourselves about how you are fed by the bread of heaven. What do you think that means for you and what difference does it make? So I invite you to turn around, talk to your neighbours. If you don't have any neighbours, find some neighbours and have a conversation for a few minutes. How are you fed by the bread of life and what difference does it make? I wonder uh, if anyone would like to share some of your conversation with the rest of us. Anyone like to share some thoughts? I'm going to keep it all secret. Too hard. Well, there's some pretty basic things like prayer. I'm pretty sure that's one way we do it when we spend time praying. Reading the Word of God. Reading the Bible? Indeed. That's another way. So that's a whole community aspect. Any other any other thoughts? Gardening. Wonderful. You should have just popped that up right at the beginning. 
There are lots of people for whom gardening is the very place they get fed the most. And there's something meditative about that. And there's silence and there's being in God's creation. And we are fed and healed. Gardening. See that at play and how dangerous that is. Yeah. Any other thoughts? For me, it's, oh, I quite like to go skiing. I haven't been skiing this year, but um, if I'm on my own, I'm at the top of the mountain. Yes, um, it's like being surrounded by creation very uplifting. And it's pretty spectacular and big up there, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's amazing. Skiing. There's lots of people for whom surfing is the same thing. They go out and they might not even catch many waves, but just being out on the water, on the surfboard, is a, is a way that they are fed. Uh, at 8 o'clock, a couple of people talked about the care and love that they receive from this community as what the way that they are fed. That when... And we often don't think about that. But when we offer that, we are feeding them and are being fed ourselves. But we also need to be open to receive that so that we can be fed. And they can be fed as well. So there are lots of ways that we are fed by the bread of heaven. Eucharist is important, but it's not the only way. I know one just loves her church family, and this is probably the same thing. Yeah. Yep, and even though she can't come, she knows that she is surrounded by love and she still belongs. Still belongs. Yeah. We, um, we're, uh, we're an international global community and there has been much debate and much talk in the last 10 years about respect of our environment, our water, our land, our soils, etc, etc, goes on and on. And we can, and people, I believe that people think, I'm one person, how can I, how can I have any effect on the soil, on the water, on the air that we breathe, etc, etc. But I think the, the love, if we have love in our hearts, then the little, the little bit that we do, the little contribution that we make in our recycling, in the way that we um, breathe, in the way that we think about travelling from A to B, etc., etc., that's a, um, that's the, our individual contribution for the for the whole. And I think if we can, if we can, um, yeah, if we can. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Gives us a bigger viewpoint. And also knowing that, yeah, my little bit might not be much, but I'm part of this vast group of people, and if we all do our own little bit. Mm. But also, there are groups around the world acting on our behalf. So I know as Anglicans, 
Uh, there's the um, Climate Change Conference coming up, and the Archbishop of Canterbury will be sending representatives there, as well as representatives from the Anglican, the Anglican Communion Environment Network. So they will be going and, and having a contribution to that. Mm. So, you know, we're not there, and we think that what we say isn't very important, but actually our voice feeds into that through those groups. Um, so we are part of that, we are feared so that we can, we can actually do that caring and liberation happening in the world. Well, thank you very much. That was very good. I think we probably should do some praying about now. So Helen's going to say the magic words and then um, whoever's on prayers will come up. I think it's class.